Welcome to episode 8 of the flagship podcast of Fansided's Call to the Pen. You can find this podcast as well as all the great content our contributors put out at calltothepen.com. I am your host and Fansided contributor, Jonathan Playtech. You can follow me on Twitter at John's Voices. As I always do whenever we meet, I hope to make this an enjoyable and fun experience. New episodes scheduled for Mondays and Wednesdays, weather permitting. We have a lot to get to today, Monday, August 28th. We will be getting to a judge's chamber. We have got to talk about Aaron Judge and what is going on with the young slugger. Has the league figured him out? Have I killed him with this segment? Those will be questions uh, attempted, we attempt, I attempt, to answer in another edition of Judge's Chamber. And of course, what is hot and happening at calltothepen.com, including some talk about a, uh, a young pitcher, or well, youngish pitcher, in the NL West who is finally heating up, or heating up at just the right time, and who has been dominant since the All-Star break. We'll talk about that. But first, we have a scoreboard. Scoreboard! 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 Hey, Joaquin, I'm out here with Apollos Hester, wide receiver for the Patriots. You guys had one heck of a game tonight. Were you guys able to do to come back and win this thing? All right, well, at first we started slow. We started real slow. And, you know, that's all right. That's okay because sometimes in life you're going to start slow. We're going to start slow, but we're always, always going to finish fast. No matter what the score was, we're going to finish hard. We're going to finish fast. And it's, it's an awesome feeling. It's an awesome feeling when you truly believe that you're going to be successful. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the scoreboard, you're going to be successful. There was plenty of action yesterday, Sunday, in Major League Baseball. Now let's run down some of what happened. The D-backs absolutely crushed the Giants in Arizona 11 to nothing. Believe it or not, this was a two-run baseball game up until the seventh inning when the Giants' bullpen imploded, giving up nine runs in the bottom half of the frame, a frame which included back-to-back-to-back home runs by Paul Goldschmidt, J.D. Martinez, and Daniel Descalso. It uh, The famed back-to-back-to-back home runs was the key to this game, but there's something that we'll be talking about later on this podcast that also happened in this game, something that uh, could bode well for the future of the Diamondbacks in the playoffs in 2017. Elsewhere, the Brewers top the Dodgers and Hugh Darvish in L.A. 3-2. The Brewers sit just two back of the NL Central leading Cubs, and with the loss, the Dodgers drop their seasonal winning percentage to... <gasps> 705. After losing two in a row, get it together, Dodger crew. Come on. What's going on? The Athletics beat the Rangers 8 to 3 in Oakland, which is exactly the worst thing that could happen to the Rangers in their hunt for the playoffs. Last week I talked about how the Rangers could be mounting a wild card bid and losing 8 to 3 in Oakland to the Athletics is exactly the kind of thing that would make that not happen. Though they sit just 3 nominal games back of the AL's second wild card spot, they need more than double that number of games to actually break in their favor to hurdle all the teams ahead of them. They've got a lot of work to do now, having lost three in a row over the weekend. Yeah, that three losing three in a row part is also the other worst thing that could happen to my prediction that the Rangers 
of all teams could be a, a playoff contender. Again, just three games back, but they are like a total eight games back. They need eight teams, eight games to to go in there, go their way. Uh, of help to the Rangers, though were the Houston Astros. As they beat the Angels 7-5 in Los Angeles, Jose Altuve hit his 20th home run on the season, Luis Valbuena his 17th. The Angels now sit one and a half games back of a wild card bid. The Rays beat the Cardinals 3-2 in St. Louis. Logan Morrison hit his 30th and 31st home runs on the year. The Cardinals now sit four and a half games back of the NL Central lead. Got a lot of work to do there out of St. Louis. The White Sox beat the Tigers 7-1 on Chicago's south side. The game score only interesting because after going six and four in their last 10 the White Sox have surrendered the number two overall pick in the 2018 MLB draft to the San Francisco Giants not all hope is lost of course there's still plenty of baseball to be played but going six and four in a year when you are most certainly trying to tank is exactly the kind of thing that uh, will get you picking in number three number four overall which is not bad but for a team rebuilding for a team looking ostensibly to do a very quick rebuild you want to be picking number two and if possible if possible catching the Phillies for the number one overall pick although that will be hard but the Cubs were helping out the Cubs helped out the Orioles beat the Red Sox two to one in Beantown the Orioles now sit just two games back of a wild card spot and need to hurdle only the Angels and Seattle both one and a half games back of the final AL spot for the Bo Sox the loss tightens the increasingly interesting race in the AL East speaking of the East we go to the NL East for a matchup on Sunday between the Nationals and the Mets with the Metropolitans emerging victorious 6-5, to the Nats suffered a brief scare over the weekend when Ryan Zimmerman appeared to injure his arm. He sat out, out, he sat out Saturday as a precaution and was in the lineup on Sunday. The Rockies blanked the Braves in Atlanta 3 to nothing. They were now the te- they are now the team to beat in the NL for a second wild card spot trailed by the Brewers, Marlins, and Cardinals. The Phillies beat the Cubs helping out the White Sox. 6-3 to three, uh, in Philly on Sunday. Cubs starter John Lackey looked to be cruising through the first four innings, and then the fifth happened. Lackey gave up two base runners to lead off the inning, one on a single and the other a fielding error. Then a wild pitch after a Hyunsu Kim lineout brought a, uh, brought a home, home a run. Then a walk, then a single to Freddie Galvis, and then Nick Williams launched a ball over the fence to notch the fifth run off of Lackey in the inning. He would not not return for the sixth. The Pirates beat the Reds 5-2 in Cincy, but it remains much too little, much too late, as the Pirates are more than six and a half games back of both the divisional race and the last wildcard spot in the NL. The Marlins kept their playoff hopes alive with a 6-2 win at home over the Padres. Miami now just has to surpass the Brewers for a shot at the second wildcard spot in the National League. Giancarlo Stanton also hit his 50th home run on the season over the weekend. The Indians socked the Royals 12 to nothing at home. Francisco Lindor, Carlos Santana, and Jan Gomes all had home runs. Not to be outdone, the Twins beat the Blue Jays north of the border 7-2 on the strength of not one, not two, but three Byron Buxton home runs. They hold a two-game lead on the AL's last wildcard ticket and are six and a half back in their division. The Yankees beat the Mariners 10-1 to close the AL East race to just two and a half games. They now maintain a three and a half game lead on the first wild card spot in the AL. 
to close out the baseball night on Sunday, the Nationals and Mets reconvened for the always interesting double dip in the nation's capital in a makeup of a July 5th game. I think that's one of the many phantom rainouts held by the Nationals that make guys like uh, Keith Hernandez very cranky. The Nationals came away with the win in the nightcap to split the doubleheader 5-4. That's what happened at MLB Action yesterday, and this has been your scoreboard on the Call to the Pen podcast. All right, that was a lot of action. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton currently on pace to uh, to beat Roger Maris's uh, current, or well, not current record, but once record, then record of 61 home runs in a single baseball season. And uh, as we talked about last week, as we talked about last week, a lot of people are going to make make this a steroids versus not steroids argument, and I don't see the need to because if nothing else, if nothing else, what we need to consider here is that despite whatever juicing you want to apply to a guy like Sammy Sosa or Mark McGuire. Now, Mark McGuire admitted to it, but whatever juicing you want to apply to Sammy Sosa, who a couple times has been on pace. I, I saw an infographic yesterday, I want to say. There were three separate seasons in which Sosa had more than 50 home runs through the month of August. I want to say it was three, perhaps it was two, two or three. The point being, no matter how much somebody wants to make this about juicing versus not juicing, Giancarlo Stanton is benefiting from juicing. It's just, it maybe isn't his body. The baseballs are juiced. I think that's beyond... That's beyond argument at this point. At this point, we're just talking about, well, how much are they juiced? And how much do we need to correct certain metrics, certain uh, park, let's say park factors, let's say league factors, run scoring environments, that, that kind of thing. The, the fact remains is that Stanton, through this point in the season, if you want to say, well, he's he's doing it without juicing, I'm saying, well... He's doing it, maybe, likely, without injecting banned performance-enhancing drugs. He's, he's, let's, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I have no reason to believe that Stanton is, is juicing, aside from just being a physical specimen. I mean, look at the guy. He's huge. He's ripped. But that's, you know, maybe dude just likes working out at the gym. I don't know. You know, you can have a, a cut body. You can be buff and trim and cut without necessarily going to the doctor or the pharmacist. And so outside of that, I've got nothing. I apologize. I forgot to turn my uh, my phone on silent there. No, just go to silent. There we go. That's, uh, that's professionalism right there, kids. Outside of that, outside of the, oh, look at his body. He's got to be juicing. I have no reason to believe that Stanton is juicing, but I do know that Stanton is hitting juiced baseballs into the stands. That's what I know. I know that's what he's doing. So, sure, you want to talk about whether Sammy Sosa was juicing. You want to talk about how, well, we need to put up an asterisk on on what Mark McGuire did or what Barry Bonds did. Again, despite Barry Bonds never testing positive, you want to attribute all these things to things other than their baseball acumen, other than their ability, their their talent at striking a baseball so hard to hit it over the fence, you want to attribute it to, to steroids, you want to attribute it to being able to work out every day, you want to attribute it to all these things, fine, then you better attribute Giancarlo Stanton's home runs this year to the damn juiced baseball. Because it's happening. It's a thing. 
it's beyond reproach at this point that the baseballs, I mean, even the, the, not even about the the coefficient of restitution and the tests that that have been done, and w- that weird inflection point two years ago at, at the All Star break. Never mind all that. Think about all the guys, all the pitchers now who are who are suffering odd contusions on their fingers. Sinker ball pitchers now are are having blisters at an incredible rate, and the only explanation for that is. If it's not raised seams, which it isn't, they've tested, they've looked, that's easier to figure out than a higher coefficient of restitution, it is a juiced baseball. Because when you squeeze a baseball and it has a higher coefficient of restitution, that's going to mean a higher friction coefficient, or, well, the same friction coefficient, but a greater sheer amount of force on your skin of your pitching fingers when you throw the baseball. That's just how physics works. The coefficient, if it's all the same materials, that's fine. If it's all the same, and thus it would be the same friction coefficient, but if the coefficient of restitution is higher, meaning it pushes back against you pushing on it with greater force, it wants to return to where it was. It's more bouncy, if you want to call it that. If it's more like that, that means that there's going to be a greater amount of force on your skin. It's going to be more like sandpaper, not less. It's going to have the practical effect of sandpaper, even though the materials are the same, if only because with the same amount of force that you apply to the baseball, it responds more equally with the same amount of force. And so all the all the blister problems that we see pitchers in the last couple of years can be attributed to a juiced baseball. So there's little argument to be had. And if you're going to, again, circling back, if you're going to say, Giancarlo Stanton is doing it without the aid of juice, of the juice. Okay, again, I'm I'm choosing a term here to, to try to be clever. Of course, people will say he's doing it without steroids. I say, okay, but he's doing it with a juiced baseball. The only the option, the really the only argument there is that, well, yeah, but everybody is facing the juiced baseball. And I uh, yes, that's true now, but not historically. Historically, that's not true. So if you're going to say this season is better than one that was had 20 years ago because it was done without the aid of steroids, I say, well, hold on a second. 20 years ago, it wasn't hitting a juiced baseball. Wasn't hitting a baseball that was designed specifically for more home runs and run scoring to make the game more interesting. The juice was allowed in baseball then because it made the players more likely to hit home runs Individual players that took them allowed them to to get bigger and stronger and allowed run scoring, uh, allowed for a bit longer careers, all that. It made the players more exciting, but the baseball, the juiced baseball in modern times makes the the entire game more exciting because the baseball is what is driving the the run scoring, the power output, and, and, and all that. So, sure, probably Stanton isn't taking performance-enhancing drugs. and But I will, I will still reserve the right to question him because baseball, that's just that's a fact of life in baseball. Everybody's up for debate. Every single person is up for deba- debate in baseball. And baseball brought about that problem. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. It wasn't anybody else except Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball allowed for that 
that standard, that that ability of everybody to be questioned all the time. But right now, I do not choose to question Giancarlo Stanton's uh, chemistry, his body chemistry. I don't care about that. All I want is for people to properly account for the baseball. Properly account for the baseball. If you're going to say they need an asterisk on guys I believe were juicing, then you also better say that they need an asterisk on guys who are hitting a juiced baseball. All right. we. Uh, it's been a while. Since we got into this on uh, on the Call to the Pen podcast, the flagship podcast. Uh, but we've got to talk about Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, he's been having some troubles. Having a bit of, uh, bit of problemos of late. Um, and I, I don't want to say that it's because of this episode, that it's because of this show. I don't want to say that, but... You know, this show's a pretty big deal. The show's a pretty big deal. So it, it's quite possible that routinely exalting the virtue and the ability, the dominance of Aaron Judge has brought about uh, a fall from grace. Do we want to call it a fall from grace? I think we can call it a fall from grace at this point. But there's some interesting things to get to. All right, let's get to Judge's Chamber. Here we go. Pitch to judges, hammered into left field, hooking fair ball home run. Aaron Judge just kept it fair for his major league leading 19th of the season. High drive, right field, going back Bautista, looking up, see ya, into the second deck the other way. Uh, happier times, then much happier times for Aaron Judge. All right, we lasted a Judge's Chamber on August 9th. Uh, that was going on, call it 19 days ago, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yes. About 19 days ago, we last did, on this show, we did a Judge's Chamber. This segment is on loan from the KMP Show. You can check out the KMP Show if you want, another sports talk podcast at kandpshow.com, kandpshow.com. There you go. Check it out. It's pretty good. Yeah, not pretty good. It's all right. Once in a while. We have a few funny bits. That's all. But since August 9th, and even then, things had started to look bad for Aaron Judge. In the interim, since that show, eh, they haven't gotten much better. Since that show, Judge has played in 17 games, accruing 76 plate appearances with a batting line of steal yourselves, steal your mind, Steal your mind, Holmes. Of 177, 329, 323. I'll read that again. 177, 329, 323. This is 17 games accruing 76 plate appearances. Good for a 298 weighted on base average and an 82 weighted runs created plus. I am going to get on... Some post-All-Star break splits for you. I'm going to try to do that very quickly. It uh, just occurred to me that that's probably the best way to do it. Let's get to the All-Star break. All right, since the All-Star break, 182 plate appearances. 
He has a batting line, again, very similar to the one I just read off. 179, 341, 352, good for a 302 weighted on base average and a weighted runs created plus of 85. Again, both metrics post-All-Star break and since August 9th, we'll use we'll use the since August 9th as a proxy for the month of August and then uh, the post-All-Star break just for, obviously, post-All-Star break. Both feature weighted runs created plus the outputs that are 50, at least 15% below league average. So he has not been good since the All-Star break. And, yeah, he's been bad. This is bad. This is – there's no other way to put it. Since the All-Star break, uh, he's got a 19.2 walk rate, 19.2%, which is not, not bad at all. That's really good, actually. That's really good. But the 35.7% strikeout rate is also pretty bad. And the 257 BABIP, all right, a little bit unlucky. A little bit unlucky of 257 BABIP since the All-Star break. And he's got a home run to fly ball rate in the since the All-Star break of 17.9%. So above average, but not what he was doing at the beginning of the season. Certainly not what he was doing at the beginning of the season. You know, home run to fly ball featuring home run to fly ball rates of, God, near 40%. Judge's strikeout rate since August 9th is 34%, something seen from minor league sluggers in high A-ball and something you'll live with in A-ball or elsewhere in the minor leagues from slugging prospects. Judge's walk rate, of course, is still an acceptable 17%. What's changed? Well, a lot. For one, Judge's sheer power figures have dipped. It was acceptable earlier on when we started this bit and when we started it on the KMP show. It was acceptable for him to be batting in the low 200s with a slugging percentage up near or even above 500. The reasoning being is that even though he wasn't hitting the ball with sustained success, when he did hit the ball, the ball would either find the stands or find a gap for extra bases. Both hits that are obviously more conducive to scoring runs and helping one's team. Obviously, if you're hitting in the low 200s, but you're only slugging 300 on the off chance that you do get a hit, whatever the reason for your low batting average, whether, whether it's a bad BABIP or it's a skill deficiency or it's a, it's a run of, of poor luck on your part, whatever the reasoning, if you're only slugging 300, odds are your hits are only going to be singles. And singles, more often than not, don't score many runs. There needs to be a specific or there's a, a slightly more specific set of circumstances. The game state, if you will. The game needs to be in a more specific state in order for singles to be scoring runs at about the same rate as a double or a triple or, well, obviously, a home run. See, a guy on first, a single is very unlikely to score that guy on first. But with a guy on first, a double, well, that might score him. A triple, obviously. In a home run, doy. So the reasoning was that, okay, it's acceptable for you to have a 220 or 215 batting average because you're still slugging 500, and we will take the offensive output from your extra base hits, even though they may be few and far in between. We'll take that extra offensive output in exchange for the dip in batting average, and especially especially when that lower batting average is coupled with a more acceptable on-base percentage. 
But now, now that his OBP has dipped in this time frame to 329, you get that's testing. That would be testing the realm of acceptability if his slugging percentage was up around 500. But at 323, it is unacceptable for him to be performing the way he is. Since our last rendition of this little bit, Judge's ISO has dropped to 145, half, half of his seasonal total of 300. What's more, and quite possibly even worse, something has happened, something has sapped Judge's apparent supernatural ability to turn fly balls that he hits into home runs at absurd rates. Because in the time since the last Judge's Chamber, his home run to fly ball rate has been a meager 12.5%. I just read it. It's been 17% since the All-Star break. That's good enough for league average. 12.5% is, but not to be Aaron Judge and not to be hitting 170 with a 323 OBP. What's especially interesting, what's especially interesting, we have to explain this. Okay, what's responsible for the home run to fly ball rate dip? Because that's the key. That's where Judge wrapped up a lot of his his value as a hitter was in home run to fly ball rate because he was able to he didn't hit a lot of fly balls he just the fly balls that he did hit turned into home runs at an absurd rate and that's what you want in a pure power hitter in a masher that's what you want and that's seemingly somebody that would be insulated from a poor run of luck in the rate at which their home runs turn into fly balls, because uh, as statistical analysis has shown, to, to my recollection, that such a thing is open to luck. There's a, a good bit of luck influence on the, the, um, the rate at which your fly balls turn into home runs. But we have to explain this. Has it been only luck? Have we just been riding the high of Aaron Judge being this supernatural talent and it's all been luck, all of it, and now he's just, he has regressed back to the mean. Again, he's within, this isn't well below average, this isn't bad home run to fly ball rates, this is league average home run to fly ball rates. And even then, since the All-Star break, he's been above average. Most players hit a 17% home run to fly ball rate, they're, they're sitting pretty good. They feel pretty good about where they're at. But for Judge, in how he output, it's fall. It's resulted in a huge fall off in production. So what explains it? Well, there's something especially interesting in how teams are now pitching Judge since the All Star break. Before the All Star break, Judge never faced more than 15 percent of the fastballs he saw of all fastballs he saw in the upper third of the strike zone. Never saw more than 15% in the upper third. Now, post-All-Star break, Judge is seeing 16% of fastballs, of all fastballs he sees in the upper third, and a whopping 16% of fastballs above the strike zone. So you've got never seeing more than 15% of fastballs seen in the upper third of the strike zone pre-All-Star break. Now, post-All-Star break, He's got 16% of fastballs he sees in the upper third and 16%, an extra 16% above the upper third of the strike zone. Even more interesting. I know, that's pretty interesting, right? The, the, the takeaway being they're peppering the upper portion of the zone. They're, they're challenging Aaron Judge. 
Advanced scouts are, are now telling the pitchers, and the pitchers are seeing it on tape, throw this guy fastballs up in the zone. And that's that's borne out by heat maps pre- and post-All-Star break. It kind of jibes with it during the All-Star break, pitching coaches, scouts, they, they can get together and they can say, okay, what are we going to do about this guy? And it looks like the league has decided, all right, Aaron Judge, we're no – yeah, you're 6'8". And again, keep in mind that Judge was facing – if you look at the heat maps pre All Star break, there's a lot of stuff in, right in the middle of the zone. But for Aaron Judge, he's six eight. On a normal on, on a normal player, the the fastballs that Judge would see would be up in the zone for a six two player. I mean, you're talking about an extra half a foot in and in some cases, and in some cases more than a foot of difference in strike zone height. So Judge was seeing thigh-high fastballs or belt-high fastballs that he would crush for home runs, but on other players on like the, uh, the diminutive shortstop elsewhere on other teams or the diminutive second baseman, they would be chest-high fastballs or stomach-high fastballs. What's even more interesting, though, is the fact that teams are throwing Judge more fastballs in an effort to get him out, not more junk. The sheer amount of fastballs he's faced in any given 10-game period has never been higher this season than it is in his last 10 games. They are throwing him, and if you look at the rolling 10-game average of the percentage of pitches that he's faced that are fastballs, it's been a steady climb since the All-Star break. People pitchers are throwing him more and more fastballs, and usually that's counterintuitive because you get a big, big ass slugger who's dominating the league. Usually, the mo for the league is all right. Well, let's just start throwing him junk out of the zone. Let's just throw him. Let's just throw him crap out of the zone. He'll swing at it, get himself out, or at, at the very worst, he won't be able to hit home runs, and we won't get hurt by him that badly. But the league has taken an interesting route with Judge in that they've decided. You know what? If you look, they're they're throwing him fewer curveballs. They're throwing him less junk. What they're throwing him more of is fastballs up and out of the zone. And it's apparently it's working. Let's put this all together. Judge's power appears sapped. Like he's Superman, exposed to kryptonite. Or Baseball fans exposed to comic book metaphors. In the same period in which we observe judges' power desert him, we notice that teams are throwing him more fastballs at the top of even his six eight foot frame, six foot eight frame, and he can't catch up. Couple that with some disturbing research from ESPN on the amount of borderline high strikes that are called against Aaron Judge post All Star break. We talked about this on the KMP show. My co-host Rich found some interesting research brought on by ESPN that shows that Judge is the recipient of more borderline high strike calls at what would be the upper portion of his strike zone than many other players. And there has been a decided change in how Aaron Judge's strike zone is called from before the All-Star break to after it. Before the All-Star break, umpires were calling more of the low strikes. But post-All-Star break, there are more high strikes, and as a result, there are even more borderline high strikes. And we found a neat little narrative concerning all that. We found a neat little narrative that explains not only the lack of power from Judge, but also the amount of strikeouts. 
when facing more fastballs up in the zone, Judge is being forced by borderline strike calls to swing at pitches he can't hit instead of taking them for the likely balls that they are. With more fastballs up where even he can't reach them and thus fewer in his thigh-high sweet spot, Judge is rendered impotent. So I think that expl- I think that that is a pretty succinct, well if not succ- succinct, but a, a pretty expansive comprehensive explanation for why we're seeing what we are seeing out of Aaron Judge is that teams are pitching him differently and umpires are calling him differently in effect enabling baseball to sort of stifle one of their great young talents. Now, I don't know how the rest of this season is going to play out. I really don't. Because we're at the end of August right now, and Judge has continued to struggle. And it's undoubtedly a result, again, of how baseball teams throughout baseball are pitching him. And the Yankees are most assuredly going to make the playoffs. And in the playoffs, who what is Judge going to face? So let's assume they make it past the one-game playoff. They're only two and a half back of the Red Sox, so they may be swept into the to a divisional series right away. And in a divisional series, you're going to be facing better pitching. You're not facing fours and fives. You're not going to see the fours and fives. You're seeing ones, twos, and threes, and then ones again. And if you get ones, twos, and threes throwing of good teams, the ones, twos, and threes of good teams, because the White Sox number three is not very good. But the Bo Sox number three is pretty good. The Dodgers number three is pretty damn good. And so you get the ones, twos, and threes of playoff teams throwing you fastballs up in the zone. Again, small sample size, the playoffs I get, but it's hard to hit 95 up, even if you're 6'8. It's hard to hit it. And when umpires are not giving not giving you the same strike zone that they do other players. And I don't mean same in terms of actual size. I mean, umpires are usually very hesitant to call high strikes. Umpires have not called high strikes for a long, long time in baseball. But with Aaron Judge, they are calling the high strike. That's what I mean. In terms of they are emphasizing different areas of each respective player's strike zone. And you've got the normal size player, and they're not emphasizing the top of the strike zone. And then you've got the 6'8 giant, and they are emphasizing the top of the strike zone. That is enabling stifling Aaron Judge, because that's telling Major League scouts and players and and video guys, say, hey, just throw them them fastballs up in the zone, because they're going to call them strikes. And if they're not strikes, he's going to think they might be called strikes, so he's going to try to hit them anyway, and he can't do it because there's still fastballs up in the zone. And that's pretty tough to hit. The change is going to have to come because I don't think with the umpiring, with the calling of the strike zone the way it is, I don't think there's much that can be done. This isn't the league has reacted, but I don't know what judge can do to react to counteract what's being done to him. You know, is it shorten up? Maybe that's it. Maybe it's shorten up. Got to learn to shorten up and start smacking the ball. The other way, take because you can't take you can't take fastballs up in the zone because they're being called strikes, and that's part of the problem. The change is only going to come 
when in the off season with whatever I I even laugh at it whatever mechanisms by which MLB umpires are quote held accountable because there, I don't think in my lifetime there has been a single MLB umpire who has been fired for being a bad umpire. I don't think that's ever, ever happened is an MLB umpire being fired for being a bad umpire. But the MLB umpires will tell you up and down that they are held accountable. Oh, we're held accountable. We're held accountable. By what? So whatever mechanism is that, MLB is going to have to come in and say, listen, if you're not going to call the high strike on the player who's 5'11 or 6'1 or 6'2, if you're not going to call the high strike on those players... Don't call it on the guy who's 6'8", because that's just that's going to change the game for the worse. And, uh, you know, maybe some of the luck metrics, again, the BABIP is pretty low, so there's a little bit that can be done in terms of a, a regression to the mean there to help out judges' production. But in terms of large-scale change, it's going to have to come from Major League Baseball, and and how do you handle a guy as big as Aaron Judge, who's, you know, again, six six feet, eight inches tall, how do you handle calling that strike zone? And it's got to come with MLB saying, listen, umpires, we're not even talking about robot umpiring here. We're going to say, if you don't call the top of the strike zone for the six foot three player, don't call it for the guy who's five inches taller. All right. It's time for What's Hot and Happening at Call to the Pen dot com this is the section of the show where to close out the episode we send you on your way to some of the great content currently featured on fan sided's call to the pen call to the pen contributor mark brown has a column highlighting the dominance of diamondback starter patrick corbin in yesterday's game against the giants everyone is talking about even i did in the today's uh, scoreboard the absurd nine run eighth in the back to back to back home runs but in the background Corbin was going seven innings, giving up five hits and one walk for no runs and striking out eight. An absolute gem. Absolute gem. It was a two-run ball game up until the eighth because Corbin was lights out. Something he's done considerably well throughout his last few starts. Mark's piece points out that in his last four starts, Corbin has struck out 29 batters and earned a victory in each of those four outings. Put a put on what you will, say what you will about pitching wins. You get no judgment from me. What's more, Corbin has been otherwise electric in those starts. With a three, 0.3 ERA, I almost said three, no, 0.30 ERA and a 2.14 fielding independent pitching, he has a left on base percentage of 100 in his last 30 innings. Corbin is 11th in fielding independent pitching in the NL since the All-Star break at 3.44 and 6th in the NL in XFIP since the break. As a team, now as a team, because... Corbin is is appearing to get hot right around right around where you would want right at the time you'd want your pitchers to get hot. So as a team, the D-backs have been fourth in the NL in FIP, second in XFIP from their starting rotation since the All-Star break. Since the All-Star break, they have remained one of the best teams in the National League, one of the best starting rotations in the National League. And they rank in second overall in both categories for the entire season in the National League, behind only the, of course, the Dodgers. 
With the team leading the NL's first wildcard spot race by one and a half games, it appears that Corbin is getting hot at just the right time. You can check out check out Mark's column linked in the post of this podcast on calltothepen.com. You know what? Those Diamondbacks, man, with that rotation and that rotation doing what they're doing, if, the, if they're getting that from their starters... They've got the they've got a handle on the first wild card spot in the NL. So let's assume if the season ended today, they'd be in the postseason, they'd be in a divisional series. And you want hot, good pitching going into the postseason. Again, it's a it's a crapshoot. It still is a crapshoot. Having a hot starting rotation going into the postseason is not necessarily a World Series bid or a World Series title because, again, still is a crapshoot. But if you had to choose one thing, would you have, would you, what would you want? Would you want a hot starting rotation or would you want um, your three, four, five guys firing on all cylinders? Your three, four, and five hitters absolutely mashing the ball for let's say the last month heading into the postseason, or would you want your one, two, and three starting pitchers throwing fire, throwing gas, and getting people out? For me, I'd take the starting rotation. Because you can always overcome poor hitting. Poor hitting is countered by good pitching. Poor hitting on your side. Your poor batting line of performance is countered by good pitching. But poor pitching is only over, overcome by more run scoring. And if your team isn't if you're facing good teams, it's hard to score a lot of runs against good teams. So you would much rather have good pitching going up against good teams than you would have good hitting going up against good teams. Of course you would want to, you want to, you would want everybody to be as good as they can be, obviously. But if you had to choose, I think you pick, I think you got to go with the starting rotation being on fire. That's exactly what the D backs have. Of course, we're entering September, not October. So there's a full month of baseball left, and we'll see how that shakes out, and we'll shake it out together on Call to the Pen on the Call to the Pen podcast. That'll wrap up this episode of the flagship podcast of Call to the Pen. Be sure to visit calltothepen.com every single day for great content from all of our contributors. You can follow me on Twitter at John's Voices and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Hey, we're on iTunes now. We're on iTunes now. Just uh, wherever you get your podcast, if you're on iTunes, just search Call to the Pen podcast and uh, subscribe there so you never miss a beat. New episodes Monday and Wednesday, weather permitting. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time. I'm out. Bye.